You got to rotate it. You got to rotate it. Just rotate it. this way and we'll see if I'm can you pin the phone down just a little bit Carla thank you so much hey folks if I'm rotated to the side just flip your phone over I'm sorry we didn't have this trouble earlier we ran a couple of tests and it was fine but anyway uh, we're glad you're with us this morning um, sorry that we could not gather together today uh, there the weather threat was just uh, real enough and uh, I don't know about uh, how it is at your place but we've had freezing rain and, and sleet here since probably early this morning and so I assume that we made the right decision uh, because the last thing we want to do is endanger anybody and encourage anybody to get on the roads when they don't need to so uh, I want to give you a few announcements and then I am gonna preach this morning or share a Bible study with you. And so if you don't have the ability to stay with us for the whole time, let me get these announcements to you first uh, so that uh, you know where we are. So the first thing I wanna do is many of you are on our uh, monthly reading list, our annual reading list. And uh, this is about the third or fourth year in a row that we've produced uh, a reading list with books and a particular uh, model of read through the Bible in a year. And so I just wanted to share with you, this is the book for January. Uh, the title of the book is Praying the Bible. It's by Donald Whitney. It is a very small book. Uh, there's about eight chapters. Uh, one of those is a, is a chapter that that is walking you through the actual process that he teaches. And he teaches uh, Psalms, a praying through the Psalms uh, variety of prayer. Uh, I just want you to know that uh, this is in January. We, uh, we just completed it uh, this week. Really good little book, great information, and probably uh, will be beneficial to some in their prayer model. So I would encourage you, if you haven't gotten it yet, to get it and read it. And if you need to borrow it, I have one. I'll loan it to you. Also, uh, I want to remind you that we have moved Vision Sunday. Uh, it was our hopes and uh, our plan to uh, have Vision Sunday today. We were only going to do uh, one worship service, and we were going to do uh, in that worship service present for you uh, our new annual theme and the vision that we have for this year, including um the Bible conference we have coming up in February, uh, the missions conference we have coming up in September, and a wonderful new opportunity for involvement in a monthly outreach program that our church is going to undertake this year. Um, I was really heartbroken over the last few days thinking about how uh, I had planned and really uh, uh, just had a great desire to present that today, but I'm confident that we can present it next week and no one will be 
the worse off. Uh, maybe even give a few people time to get healthy so that we can get you there. Uh, we urge strong attendance next week. I know that there are some fears and and such about this latest strain of COVID and, and it would seem counterproductive to do only one service. But listen, I really want us to be together as a church family. Uh, many of us have had uh, this strain of COVID and I, I just believe that we are developing some herd immunity. And so I really pray that you can be there next week for the 1045 service. That will be Vision Sunday, and we will share with you all of the things that the Lord has laid on our heart uh, for this upcoming year. And then lastly, in the way of announcements, I wanna remind you that focus groups have started back. Last Sunday was our first Sunday evening of focus groups. As many of you know, we were not well the first Sunday of the year, and so we, we didn't have focus groups that evening. Uh, last week we did begin and uh, I had a tremendous turnout in my class. I was so pleased, so overwhelmed. Uh, I really had planned on four or five folks and I thought it would just be a, a quaint study group. Uh, listen, we had 16 in our group and a promise of a couple of more that are coming. And so uh, it's a great opportunity uh, to not only fellowship, but enjoy a small group study that is intentional in creating uh, some new habits in your life. And the study that we're doing are, are found in these two books, The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, and this is the study guide for that book. Uh, there's about 13 chapters of really great information uh, and encouragement and exhortation uh, towards discipline, spiritual disciplines in the believer's life. And I hope that you'll come out and be a part of that. Uh, the other study group, or the other focus group, I should say, uh, Dr. Deems is teaching through the New Testament. He's doing a survey of the New Testament. And what that is, if you're not familiar with that, that will give you um, an overview or a summary of each of the 27 books of the New Testament. So if you attend that class, uh, at the end of that class, you'll be able to uh, summarize each of the Gospels, uh, the transitional book of the, uh, of the Acts of the Apostles. You'll be able to summarize each of Paul's epistles to the church and his pastoral epistles, as well as the general epistles. And you'll even have a summary view of the book of Revelation. Uh, it is a study. It is going to be intense, but we believe in intentionality and discipleship, and if you want to grow, uh, we are trying to give you opportunities to grow. And so uh, those focus groups started last Sunday evening, and we'll be back in place next Sunday evening, Lord willing, and that starts at 6 p.m. Dr. Deem's class meets in the sanctuary, and my class meets in the new modular. And so please come and be with us and participate in that. Now, if you will, I want you to turn to the book of John, chapter six. We're gonna continue uh, our study in the book of John, just as if we were together in the sanctuary. And as you turn, uh, I'm gonna pray, ask the Lord to bless our time together. And I hope that you will uh, enjoy 
and uh, uh, be able to learn some truths that you might apply from this study this morning. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this good day. We're so grateful, Father, that you care for us and that you provide for us. Uh, Lord, we are mindful, um, regretful, uh, Lord, that we're not together this morning. But Father, I'm so thankful for technology. I'm so grateful that uh, what we've learned through COVID is that we can have service, whether together or apart, and we can join ourselves spiritually uh, through uh, this application and still enjoy uh, the camaraderie of the body of Christ. Lord, I pray this morning as we study, uh, Father, that you'd provide for us uh, this comfortable environment. Uh, still, Lord, that your blessed Holy Spirit would be present, that he would guide and lead, uh, that he would teach, that he would illuminate for us. Father, that he would convict and challenge. And Lord, even though we're not together, Father, I'm not remiss to ask the Holy Spirit that he would convert this morning. If there be one who've never accepted Christ as their Savior, they've never repented of unbelief and believed the gospel, they've never come into a close walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that today would be that day from their living room or their kitchen table or from wherever they may be watching. Father, I pray you'd bless this program today. Bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen. And so thankful again that we can be together for just a little while. John chapter six, we have looked at the first 21 verses of John chapter six. We have noted the feeding of the 5,000, that miracle that speaks of the, the satisfaction that comes from salvation. Uh, we noted uh, the calming of the storm. Uh, we, we said that that speaks towards the peace that comes with salvation. Uh, this morning, I want to look a little bit at uh, the discourse or the conversation, if you will, that ensues uh, between Christ and some of these followers uh, whom we could easily identify as a mixed multitude uh, because they had not yet believed uh, that Christ was the Savior. Uh, we see this discourse concerning the bread of life. I want you to know that as I looked through this this week, this, this section of scripture would stretch from verse 22 through verse 60. That is all congruent uh, as one passage of scripture. It is one interaction, if you will, between Christ and those who were following, those who were following just for the benefit of the miracles and the bread and those who were following uh, in order to distract or dispute. And so there, there's a group of folks occurring here. If we were to try to go uh, line by line, verse by verse, uh, we could stay here for several weeks and there are many truths uh, that are just kind of ground out in these verses. I want to look a little, a little more broad stroke today, if that's okay with you, uh, and and share some some thoughts that I had this week uh, concerning this passage. I'm going to read 
uh, verses 22 through verse uh, 27. And uh, that is just going to kind of get us uh, contextually current. And then from there, we will look at uh, the rest of the passage in, in chunks. Look with me, if you will, in verse 22. The Bible says, The day following, when the people which stood uh, on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save the one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nine to the place where they did eat bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Do you hear that? They were seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, whence camest thou? Or when camest thou thither? Uh, and Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. This episode may remind you of the woman at the well. Uh, you remember that she came looking for a very basic need. And by the way, that's what we're talking about today. The, the most basic need. Uh, you remember that she came to the well looking for water. And of course, that water that she sought was water from the well. It was water that would need to be drawn every day. It was water that would be continually needed uh, to sustain life. It's a basic need. Food, water, shelter, clothing, those are basic needs. They're things that we all uh, must have. And she came and the Lord was offering her the eternal thirst quenching water of the word. And you remember that through that episode, she continually uh, reference the water in the well. She was not able to see the spiritual implication of that living water that Christ was offering. Here in this passage, we have something very similar. Uh, we have these folks that are talking about bread and the Lord is talking about bread, but the bread that they're speaking of is uh, white bread, wheat bread, whole wheat bread. It's a loaf. It is a most basic need. And the bread that he is speaking of is eternal life. And so I want us to think about the comparison of those basic needs today. And here we have this savior who is seeking to fulfill the eternal spiritual needs of, of these lost folk. And they are simply seeking a carnal supply. That should be some challenge to you. I would ask you this morning, before we look into this passage, what is the most basic need that you are seeking? Is it financial aid, financial well-being, financial wholeness? Is it physical healing? 
Is it family helps? Uh, are you motivated by prosperity, popularity, success? And, and we all would be very quick, uh, by the way, especially in the family of God, we would all be very quick to say, no, I'm not driven by popularity or success or financial well-being. But I would challenge you, as the Lord has challenged me, to look deep into your heart this morning as we consider these truths. You look deep and ask yourself, am I motivated by the right things? I want you to notice first that what we read in verses 24 through 27 is really uh, the Lord uh, giving a warning and the warning of God is for eternity. Uh, they would begin looking for Jesus. They, they knew that he wasn't where he was before. He had gone away, but they didn't see how he could have gone across the water. They knew that he had not gone with the disciples However, they were looking for him, and lo and behold, he was there. There was some curiosity on their part as to how he got there, but most importantly, uh, they just wanted to be near him. But we would almost get a, a warm, fuzzy feeling about that. We would think, boy, that's, that's tremendous that they're looking to be with the Lord. Uh, however, the Lord Jesus diagnoses a very carnal appetite uh, almost immediately. And it's interesting because if you'll remember in, in chapter two, or in, excuse me, in chapter six, verse two, we read this a couple of weeks ago, a great multitude, multitude followed him because they saw his miracles. Here, uh, the Lord says to them, you know what? You guys aren't looking for me uh, because you saw my miracles, but you're looking for me because you ate the bread and you were filled and you want to be filled with more of that bread. It's a very carnal need that they, they, they had and that they were uh, 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 expressing. And the Lord Jesus diagnosed that and he gives them a warning. And the warning is that we ought to be looking towards eternity. He says to them in verse 27, labor not for those things that perish. The meat, the food, the, the experiences that perish, uh, rather uh, look for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you. And here he's going to begin to present himself as the bread of life. Herein the Lord sees their heart. He recognizes their desires are only for temporal needs, uh, those needs of the flesh, the most basic provision of bread. Uh, he rightly knows that their motivations uh, and the issues or that their motivations are wrong and he issues a warning that they should be thinking of the eternal. And by telling them that, he goes on to tell them that he can supply the eternal. Can you imagine for a moment with me, can you imagine being in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of the creator, in the presence of uh, the one in whom all things consist and simply seeking your next meal? Isn't that uh, so uh, so uh, carnal? Isn't it so uh, vague, so simple, so, so self-serving? 
It's, it's very similar, as we said, to the woman at the well. There she was in the presence of the Messiah, and she couldn't think of anything other than a basic need for something as common as water. And these folks had witnessed, these folks in this passage, uh, they had witnessed, uh, at a minimum, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, they had seen that bread and that fish just multiply over and over and over again until there were 12 baskets full left. They witnessed that with their own eyes. Indeed, uh, the Lord says that's the only reason you're here is you want more of that food. It is very possible, by the way, that they had also witnessed miracles of healings. Again, we would reference verse two. Uh, that so, so they were aware of his power. They were aware of his ability, yet in their heart, they simply sought more bread. Uh, this comes to a perspective of what we would know about ourselves and about other people that we commonly are around. It's not unlike folks today. We have the word of God. We see the truths within it. We experience certain events and expressions of the Holy Spirit in our life. I have. I, I'm confident if you're born again, you have. Uh, not only in our lives, but we see others whose lives are converted, they are changed, they are redeemed, they are restored. But at the heart level, we, we still do not fully believe. Rather, uh, we kind of see Christ or Christianity as any other religion or sometimes even as a superstition, you know, if we, if we do thus and thus, then good things will come back to us. That is kind of the application. We would hear that Christ can save, that Christ can redeem, that Christ wants to live within, but we are seeking temporal blessings. We're satisfied with the full belly, if you will, even though our eternal picture may be bleak or, or may be empty or may be in, in doubt, we are satisfied with the pride of church membership or with the pride of being in the choir or with the pride of being a deacon when we could enjoy more fully the peace of membership in the family of God because of our relationship with Christ. We, we look to God for provision of physical needs and prosperity and personal successes and personal happinesses and a plethora of other situations. But God has provided an answer to all of those things in the person of Christ and in our relationship with him, we will find what we truly desire. But Christ would say, Stop looking for temporal things. We, we seek God's help with money management. Uh, we seek God's help with weight loss. We seek God's help with job searches. We seek God's help with lifestyle changes, a debt recovery, and a list of other things that is as long as our carnality is deep. But Christ would say here to these guys, stop working and toiling for the temporal things and start yearning for the eternal things because the Lord Jesus can supply them and they overshadow all of these temporal things. So we would see first the warning 
from God is for the eternal. Secondly, the work of God is that we believe. That is the work of God. Notice their response in verse 28. He's just said to them, stop working for the temporal things. All right, key phrase there, stop working, right? Stop toiling, stop laboring. Remember what Christ said in Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He's saying to them, stop. Stop working and trying to earn things and listen to what they say. This is typical. It is classic. Uh, Then said they unto him, well, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Do you hear that? That, That's their response. Jesus uh, said unto them, uh, listen, uh, the work of God is that you believe on him who had sent, whom he has sent. That's the work of God. Uh, The the idea is not that we would continue working towards uh, some uh, superstitious or fictitious work, uh, 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 cost, uh, return of investment type analysis, rather that we just believe. The Lord says, labor not for the meat that perishes, loosely satisfies or loosely stated, that is that thing that temporarily satisfies and so their question, what shall we do that we may do the works of God? And again, it's typical because that is what we do. We're told that we're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And almost immediately we begin thinking of things that we can do or should do or must do in order to be saved. I'm telling you the truth this morning. If you'll listen. If you look into your heart, the, the Lord says the work of God desires of you that you believe, that you believe on the one whom he had sent. Just believe. So I can hear it right now. Someone is saying, so there are no works for the Christian. There's nothing that I need to do or should do after I'm saved because I thought once I became a Christian, I had to go to church. I had to sing in the choir. I have to read my Bible. I have to attend Sunday school. I have to go on visitation. And this is my fear this morning, folks. And I think it's why churches today uh, struggle so greatly to get participation and accomplish the things of God. I'm afraid that many folks have inverted the process and they begin by doing And that is their nexus or their connection to Christ is in all the things that they have begun doing. And that doing sometimes lasts for two years, sometimes five years, sometimes 10 years, but eventually they leave off the doing and they arrive at done. I've done that. I went to Sunday school for years. I taught Sunday school for years. I attended church for years. I did visitation. I've done that. I've done all of those things. And and then what you have is you have an individual who has all of the experiential knowledge, all of the battle scars, all of the same testimonies and war stories of a Christian without any of the benefits of being a Christian because they started by doing when they should have started by believing. If we begin by believing as a result of that belief, 
There is going to be a regeneration, a redemption, a new birth, a, a set of new desires that will occur because Paul tells us old things are passed away and all things become new. And so uh, suddenly the doing starts happening as a natural reaction or a natural outflow of the indwelling of the blessed Holy Spirit. Listen, the difference is tremendous. Consider these two statements. And you have to listen closely because they say the same thing, but they mean something totally different. So suppose somebody said to you, well, you know, if you go to church, you're a member of the choir, you attend Sunday school, you read your Bible, you tithe, you're saved, you're a Christian. Now you would hear that. Now listen to this statement. If you are saved, if you are a Christian, then you will go to church, sing in the choir, attend Sunday school, tithe, work visitation. Do you hear the difference in those two statements? One of those statements is predicated on the doing and the other places the emphasis on the believing that causes the doing to happen. And I'm afraid that in, our, in some of our uh, churches, we have Christians who have inverted this. Only that that doing should be happening as a result of the relationship rather than in hopes of earning a relationship. I'm sure, I'm 100% confident that someone is recoiling right now. You're, you're resisting, you're, you're disagreeing. You may even be stopping the video. Uh, I'm confident that somebody right now is in full disagreement and the disagreement is with the idea that if you're a Christian, you will do certain things because the implication there uh, then is that if you don't do those things, maybe you're not a Christian. That's exactly what the implication should be. And I realize that's strong medicine, but look, it's not the medicine that I prescribed. It's the medicine that is presented for us. I want you to think about this, some examples, and they're very rudimentary. They're very uh, uh, earthly uh, examples, uh, but I want you to think about these. I want you to think about a pig. There's, there's, a, there's a scriptural reference that talks about the pig returning to its wallow. I want you to think about a pig. A pig could live, literally. A pig can live and survive in a clean, dry, mud-free stall. But if he acts on his nature, that thing that indwells him, he would prefer mud. And he would prefer a lot of it. And he would choose it every time. I want you to think about another, a duck. These are both nasty animals, by the way. So no implication there. But I want you to think about a duck. A duck could live in a hen house. They could live in a hen house. They, they can do, uh, they could survive right there. But again, if they act on what is inside them, what is their, their spirit, they would prefer a pond. They would prefer to be out. I'll give you one more. Two, actually. But one more animal, a cow. A cow could live and survive in a concrete lot. You'd have to feed them, but they could live. 
But if the cow is given what it truly desires, it would rather have a pasture and free roaming graze. And I want to tell you this, a Christian, a born again, spirit filled believer can live outside of the church. They can live outside of fellowship. They can live outside of service. They can live that way and they can still be born again. But if they ever act on what indwells them, if they ever act on what motivates them, that being the indwelling spirit of, the, of, of Christ, the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, that their desire is going to be towards fellowship and service and communion. That's the truth, like it or not. So the warning of God is for eternity. Quit looking at temporal things. The, the work of God is that we believe. If we would just believe, the work will, will follow. I want you to look at verses 33, 35. And, and can I give a shout out to Carla? She's holding the camera. <laughs> she's trying to help you guys so it won't be cock-sided. And she's doing a good job, bless her heart. She probably thinks I'm preaching to her. Uh, but I'm glad that you all are with us this morning. Look at verses 30 through 35. And, and there we see, uh, therefore they said unto him. Now they've, they've said, uh, he said, you're only looking for the bread. And, and uh, they said, well, tell us what we have to do to do the work of God. He said, you just have to believe. Then they said, uh, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? Of what dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're referring to Moses there. And then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then they said unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So I want you to hear this. The, the word of God, the word of God is the bread of life. Now, uh, listen to me. I'm not taking anything away from Christ. Uh, we know very well that in this very book, as we studied in chapter one, John said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And in verse 14, he said, the word came and dwelt among us. Uh, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter one tells us that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. And uh, we know that this Bible, these canonized 66 books of the Bible are the inerrant, infallible word of God, and they are life unto us, and we ought to be devouring them. At this point in the narrative, though, there's a great insult and a lack of sincerity on the part of the seekers, because you remember, they had just witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. Some of them doubtless had witnessed the miracles of the healing of the sick, and as soon as Christ challenges them to believe, they shamefully and selfishly ask 
for a miracle so that we might know whether or not we can believe you. Show us a sign so that we could know. I want you to understand uh, the, the reference they gave is to the manna. In their mind, in the mind of the Jew, Moses uh, was was one of the greater ones. And, and you know, uh, they felt that way about Moses. They felt that way about Abraham. They felt that way about David. Uh, they felt that way about Solomon. And, uh, and, and they felt that way about Jonah. And, and here, Christ would tell them here soon, you know, look, a greater than is in your presence. The book of Hebrews is written to that end, to Jewish believers, that they would understand better things have come in the person of Christ than you had in the past. Here, they reference Moses and Christ says to them, look, Moses didn't give you that manna. God gave you that manna. The Father gave you that manna. And that very same Father has given you the true bread from heaven, the one who came down from heaven. And of course, he is looking and, and speaking of himself. Someone might say, boy, I wish it were that easy. I wish the Lord were here today, standing with me face to face. I wish it were that easy. And I want to tell you that it is because the Lord is here today, is in the word of God. And we have all sorts of people asking all sorts of questions and presenting all types of challenges to the word of God, but they're wrong. The word of God is alive, is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And if you would come face to face with the word of God, you'll come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there'll be a work done in your heart. Lastly, uh, I want you to see the, the will of God is that we believe. I said some of this on Wednesday night from a different passage of scripture. It's because I believe it so deeply. In, in this passage, from verses 36 through 40, Christ said, I've said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. You see that? They didn't believe. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, that of all which he hath given me, I should not lose, or I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone who seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Can I tell you this morning, in all of our troubles and trials and difficulties, and all of our tests and temptations, and all of our needs, the Savior is sufficient. He's sufficient. He has been obedient unto the will of God. He has been obedient unto the will of the Father. Paul would say that he was obedient even unto death, and that, the death of the cross. He will take all that come. There's a great debate, uh, not only in this passage, but in every one of speaking of trying to pit the sovereignty of God against the will of man. And well, if God calls, you'll come. And if God doesn't call, 
you won't come. And, and there is a, 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 an immense amount of truth and doctrinal statement in the idea that the Holy Spirit must woo you, but the Holy Spirit is wooing you. That is his task, to woo you to believe. And the Father is willing that you would come. And if you want to know whether or not you're part of the elect, then just come and you'll be part of the elect because he has willed that all would be saved, that none would perish. The Savior is sufficient and he'll take all that come and he'll keep all that come and he'll raise at the end all that come. There's this picture of sufficiency. I want you to know this. The Father is sympathetic to our need. God did not uh, see us uh, fall in the, in the garden and say, well, so what? I don't care. He immediately uh, created a covering for them and immediately uh, began working towards Calvary, which was settled before the foundation of time. He is sympathetic to our need. He knows our needs and he sent the son to fulfill our needs. God is sympathetic. And his will is that all would believe and be saved. This is the problem. The sinner is slothful. We're slow to believe. We are slow to believe and we're slow to receive. Christ said to these folks, you've seen me and you believe not. And I want to tell you that's the problem with the loss today. It's not that God has not revealed himself. It's not that God has not offered himself. It is none of those things. It is that they have chose to believe not. They are slothful. My question to you today is what will you ask of Christ? What will you ask of Christ? Will it be for your most basic needs? Well, Lord, give me a good job. Lord, give me a nice house. Lord, give me this, that, or the other. Or will it be for eternal needs? God, save me. God, cleanse me. God, seal me. God, uh, call me to your work. God, bless me in your work. Employ me in your work. Those things of eternal. It's my heart's desire today that you would come to Christ in repentance. Believer, it's my heart's today, desire today, and it's God's desire today that you would sell out to the work of God, that you would sell out to Christ, that you would sell out to the local church, be a difference maker for God this day and this age. Thank you so much for being with today. I'm so grateful, thanks uh, to those that have attended and to Carla for holding the camera. And I don't know if you can see over my shoulder or not, but it's snowing pretty good here. And uh, it's right pretty. And uh, I tell you the thing I'm most happy about with the snow this morning is I don't have a child in the house and so I don't have to get outside and play in it. <laughs> I can sit right here on my couch and drink my coffee and watch it fall. And for that, I'm thankful today. Listen, God bless you. I appreciate you coming this morning and I hope that we will see you on Wednesday night as we continue in the book of Galatians and then please, please, please set it on your calendar and make your mind up that you'll be here on the 23rd seeing the vision and buying into the
to the plan. We love you and we thank you. God bless you.